This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theories. On December 15th, 2017, Canadian billionaires Honey and Barry Sherman were found dead in their mansion. To this day, the case remains unsolved. Counterfeit and uh, copied pharmaceuticals was much more lucrative than heroin, cocaine and the rest of it. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Listen to the no good, terribly kind, wonderful lives and tragic deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The Israeli government continues its military campaign against Hamas, despite mounting international pressure. The country's defense minister told U.S. officials last week that Israel needs more time to win the war and destroy Hamas. But the United States, Israel's closest ally, has been pushing for a new approach. Here's U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Monday in Jerusalem. Today we had great discussions about the status of the campaign and about how to reduce uh, harm to civilians uh, in the battle space and the need to ensure uh, a sustained flow of humanitarian assistance uh, into Gaza. We also have some great thoughts about how to transition from high-intensity operations to a lower intensity and more surgical operations. Later today, there is expected to be a UN Security Council vote on a resolution calling for a halt in hostilities to allow much-needed aid to enter Gaza. Hamas's leader arrived in Cairo today after the sides relaunched indirect talks for another ceasefire, and now a number of Israel's allies, including Canada, have been trying to revive discussions around a two-state solution as a way out of this conflict. But many Palestinians and Israelis don't agree with that idea. Dalia Shendlin is a political analyst and polling expert. Her new book is called The Crooked Timber of Democracy in Israel, Promise Unfulfilled. She's in Tel Aviv. And Halil Shikaki is director of the West Bank-based Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. He's in Ramallah. Hello to you both. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, too. Dalia, how are Israelis feeling about this war two months into this? What is the public mood, as you can understand it right now? Honestly, I think the public mood is still reeling from a sense of shock and reliving October 7th day after day. And I think that as a result, there is generally a sense that the war has to go on. Uh, Israelis are at the same time uh, deeply, deeply invested and concerned and anguished about the fate of the hostages, very worried about soldiers who are being killed. Every morning begins with a list of the names of soldiers who have been killed. And I would say very Israelis are not very attentive at any detailed level, to the level of destruction in Gaza. I think they know about it generally because they're very aware of the international pressures on Israel, which for the most part, the majority of Israelis, we know from survey research, shows that they think is mainly because of an unfair standard that Israel's held to, misunderstanding of Israel's position, poor communications. But they are sort of unwilling, I, I think, to relate to the number of lives lost the number of civilians who've been killed and the widespread levels of civilian destruction of civilian infrastructure in Gaza. Again, they are aware of it at a general level, but they're just too emotionally invested in both the trauma of October 7th and the ongoing loss of life on the Israeli side. So as a result, I think that there is not really pressure to end the war, but the investment in the hostage situation is generating some movement within Israelis to pressure the government for a ceasefire in order to reach a deal that involves hostage release. And that's the most I can say mm. for any Israeli sort of challenge to the war policy. Halil, you have just released some, some pretty extensive polling about how Palestinians are feeling about this war a couple of months in. 
I want to talk about specifics, but just briefly, what stands out to you in terms of how Palestinians are feeling? Well, that uh, the domestic balance of power is shifting in favor of Hamas, but that Hamas does not have a majority support even during this time. That there is a second major shift in attitude regarding the role of violence and armed struggle in ending the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We see much greater support for armed struggle in the West Bank now than we have seen uh, for the last 20, 25 years. We also see significant anger with the international community uh, for the lack of interest in protecting civilians in the Gaza Strip. The support for violence normally is associated with decline in support for the two-state solution, um, but we do not see that in this particular survey. In fact, support for the two-state solution seems to increase slightly uh, than we have seen in, in previous cases when there were, were wars between Hamas and Israel. Mm. Tell me about the support for Hamas. Um, I mean, again, this can be in Gaza and also in the West Bank, but what did you learn about how people feel about Hamas? Interestingly, the support for Hamas is increasing in the West Bank uh, and much less so in the Gaza Strip. There is no doubt that Gazans right now um, have not increased their support. Well, it's increased slightly, just within the margin of error. But it is the West Bank that more than tripled its support for Hamas than we have seen in the past. This essentially means uh, those Palestinians who have been angered but what they see uh, in the Israeli uh, atrocities in Gaza uh, feel that the Palestinians need to respond violently. And as a result, they look around and they only see Hamas being able to deliver that kind of violence. Well, Gazans who live under uh, the war, the current war, and do feel some responsibility should be um, placed at Hamas's door. And so the support there is not uh, that high. And the leader of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, according to your polling, something like 90% of the people polled want him to go. That is true. The Palestinian Authority in general and the Palestinian leadership in particular has been criticized by the Palestinians. This is not new, but in in this case, for their passivity uh, with regard to the war in Gaza. Uh, There are a lot of other problems, of course, that Palestinians see with the leadership. Most importantly right now that it is not taking a very strong position defending Palestinian rights and protecting Palestinians who live in the West Bank and come under daily violence by Israeli settlers. So Abbas's popularity is plummeting almost. There's almost a consensus among the Palestinians that he must go. 92% in the West Bank demand his resignation. 81% in Gaza um, demand the same. Mm. So he is by far one of the biggest losers in this war. Dalia, you had talked about the trauma of the 7th of October and people in Israel still coming to terms with that. What has that meant for Israeli politics broadly? What has happened, for example, to the political left in Israel? Well, the political left in Israel was not big to begin with. Uh, It's worth keeping in mind that for the last roughly 15 years, the political left in Israel has been fewer than 20% overall in the adult population, if you include the Jewish and Arab citizens of Israel. But among the Jewish population, uh, the left is only between 11 and 15%. But what we're seeing in survey research, surprisingly, we're not seeing a major change yet. So the basic breakdown is still there. Over 60%, sometimes as high as two-thirds of Israeli Jews define themselves as right-wing. About a quarter define themselves as centrist. Fewer than 15% define themselves as left-wing. And among 
the Arab or Palestinian citizens of Israel, much fewer identify as right wing, somewhat more identify as left wing. And so far, that hasn't changed. But what I can say, uh, the major change has been for Israeli politics, is that by every single indicator, and we've had dozens of polls coming out during this time, we see that the popularity of the government is plunging. Mm. It was already poor due to the government's policies related to the judicial overhaul and attempt of the government to essentially eviscerate judicial independence. But since October 7th, they took a very sharp downward turn. And Netanyahu's personal popularity has gone down in terms of the question of who is more suitable to be prime minister. Now, where Israelis are going when they say in polls that they no longer support the government mm is interestingly not yet to the further right parties where who are represented by essentially you know theocratic parties but instead mostly people are converging around the parties that represent what Israelis perceive as like a pragmatic right-wing parties or secular right-wing parties or right-center parties primarily that of Benny Gantz who is a former chief of staff who leads a party called the National Unity Party and has joined the war cabinet and is considered you know a, a level-headed uh, professional military man who can help run the war and is uh, a decent politician in the sense that Israelis don't actually know what he stands for, and he would be the winner if elections were held today. But they are not being held today. We don't know when they will be held. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Khalil Shikaki, one of the things that you asked in, in your polling was whether people who were being polled, Palestinians being polled, thought that Hamas's decision to launch the October 7th attacks, given the outcome thus far, was the right decision. And you found that a vast majority of people in the West Bank and majority in Gaza said that that was the correct decision to launch that attack on the 7th of October. Help me understand that. How do you explain those numbers? Easy. For the overwhelming majority of the Palestinian public, the diplomatic option of ending the Israeli occupation, removing the siege and blockade over Gaza, building a Palestinian state is not a viable one. They do not have that option. Therefore, since their primary and most vital goal is to end the occupation, remove the siege and blockade over Gaza, um, they need to resort to arms. This is what Palestinians now think. The overwhelming majority now believes that the Palestinians must resort to armed struggle to inflict pain and suffering on the Israelis and force them to change their attitude regarding the status quo, to view it, as Palestinians do, to be uh, unacceptable. Now, it is is, of course, sometimes misunderstood, as uh, October the 7th for the Israelis means atrocities, massacres that uh, Hamas men have committed. That is not the case for the Palestinians. The overwhelming majority of the Palestinians have not seen these videos of atrocities. Those who did, in fact, do say that Hamas committed atrocities, but since the overwhelming majority has not seen that, the overwhelming majority thinks October the 7th 
was essentially a brilliant military achievement by Hamas that have sent the signal to the Israelis that if you do not end your occupation, we will continue to inflict pain and suffering on you until you recalculate. Dahlia, you said uh, on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling that social media site now, that Israelis were scandalized by those results. Of course they were scandalized. Israelis cannot possibly comprehend At one level, they can't comprehend how it could be that Palestinians support what Khalil uh, rightly portrayed. Israelis see October 7th primarily as an attack on civilians, uh, not engaged in combat, including atrocities, mutilation of bodies, sexual assault. And from their mind, in, in some ways it's baffling, but it also reinforces some of the extremely negative stereotypes that many Israelis already held about Palestinians in general, we should say. This is not something that for Israelis is limited only to Hamas. Uh, there is a great, you know, especially during wartime, people are conflating their views of Hamas with all Palestinians. Um, at the same time, I think that it's uh, striking that Israelis, or I suppose anybody involved in a violent conflict, cannot see how very similar, uh, you know, opinion trends are actually mirrored on their own side. And so, of course, Israelis are scandalized by learning that Palestinians would support uh, you know, from their perspective, support what happened on October 7th uh, without realizing whether Palestinians are seeing it in the same way. They don't, they're not having the kind of conversation mm. that Khalil and I are having now. But they also, at the same time, are very, admit that they are very, very minimally concerned with Palestinian civilian deaths um, in Gaza, as I mentioned in the beginning. And, you know, in fact, on the very same day uh, that I wrote that, I had seen a very recent survey from the Israeli Democracy Institute showing that a total of 81% of Israeli Jews said Israel should only take into account Palestinian civilian damage in the war to a a small to a fairly small or very small extent. In other words, from their perspective that's a justified opinion that Israel has to pursue this war and that it really shouldn't let itself be stopped by the fact of civilian deaths. It's an interesting parallel. Halil, what does that mean for peace if either side can't seem to understand the suffering of the other? Uh, uh, this is not something new. We have seen misperception uh, prevailing, mutual misperception prevailing among Palestinians and Israelis. And this misperception is is very destructive to any effort to revive any kind of meaningful peace negotiations. Um, The overwhelming majority of Palestinians and the overwhelming majority of Israelis, when they look at the other side, they only see the most extreme. And they think, with the most extreme, we cannot make peace. Uh, The overwhelming majority on both sides want to have peace, but they do not believe that they can have it because of that misperception. This misperception is fueled by leaders on both sides who have an interest in portraying the other side as warmongers, as people who are who commit atrocities, who are not interested in peace, who want to eliminate our state, and so on and so forth. That misperception we can see vividly in this case. Uh, each one is reading reality very, very differently, come to different conclusions. And when people see our survey, for example, and see the support, as Dahlia said, uh, they only think that here it is, Palestinians support atrocities. When in fact, when we directly ask Palestinians, is killing civilians, women and children in their own homes acceptable under international law? The overwhelming majority, close to 80%, said no. Mm. So this is unacceptable for the overwhelming majority of the Palestinians. The problem 
Palestinians are in a bubble just as the Israelis are. They go to their own media for information and their own media doesn't show that. And they are happy with their ignorance. This collective ignorance is absolutely destructive. From the outside, there are a lot of pushes toward a two-state solution. Um, This seems to be from political actors from Canada, the United States, and and, and abroad, um, the way out of this crisis. Have a listen to the Canadian Foreign Minister, Melanie Jolie, talking about it this past weekend. We believe that there is a path towards a two-state solution, and we need to make sure that we get to that two-state solution process. There's no other choice. And uh, we need to have a constructive government in Israel that believes in the two-state solution. And we need to have the right Palestinian voices, which are not Hamas, that believe in it. Dalia, how do those sorts of comments about a two-state solution go over in Israel? Well, I think in Israel, they're a little bit surprised to hear something coming from the international community about the two-state solution because it sounds very remote to Israeli ears. And many times this conversation is being mocked, certainly in, in anywhere from centrist to right-wing circles, which mm. is the bulk of the country, because it seems so remote. We haven't had a serious negotiation leading towards a two-state solution between the two sides since 2013 and 14. Uh, the leadership in power uh, has been actively and openly against a two-state solution. In fact, they don't use the term two-state solution at all. They simply talk about Israeli control, Israeli sovereignty. This is a major factor in the current coalition agreements of this government, which has more openly than ever stated that its actual government aim is for Israel to control exclusively all of what they call historic land of Israel. So it does seem remote. So we're just about out of time. You you both know each other. And I just wonder, I'll ask you both this based on that, Dahlia. Where does that, where does that leave you feeling about the future? Well, it's a very dark time. Uh, what's interesting is I think we're seeing a, a fascinating mirror image on another level uh, between Israeli and Palestinian public opinion, which is that even though support for the two-state solution had been declining incrementally and pretty severely over the last decade, it has leveled off uh, among on the Israeli side at close to 40%, about 35% among Israeli Jews. And uh, Khalil will talk about the Palestinian side, but it's a very similar number. And what I noticed is that since October 7th, there are n- several indicators that that hasn't exactly changed. Mm-hmm. In fact, it hasn't changed at all. And so if that's true, if that trend holds, what it says to me is that despite the extreme violence that we have witnessed from October 7th and through to the present, It could be that people will continue to hold their broad perspectives, which were not exactly auspicious for peace, but at least we can know the starting point and realize that there are still core constituencies that support a negotiated resolution that the two sides can agree on to contain this conflict politically rather than resorting to military conflict in the future. Khalil, from your perspective, finally, just, I mean, you're in Ramallah and based on what you have heard from Palestinians, but what you're seeing, how are you feeling about, about the future? The most damaging aspect when looking at the two-state solution is the Palestinian belief that it is not viable, that uh, no one is pushing for it, that the international community is just giving it a lip service, that it is not really interested in uh, putting any kind of pressure on Israel to end this occupation. If one can change that perception of feasibility, increase it just a little bit, we will immediately see an increase in support for the two-state solution. The reason for this is that Palestinians do not have any other alternative that they think is viable. So if one can increase 
the viability, the feasibility, perception of feasibility, it seems to me that the Palestinians will be very happy to go back to supporting a two-state solution. In the meantime, the war goes on. Unfortunately, yes. I'm really glad to talk. I'm really glad to talk to you both. Um, your perspectives on this, uh, but also the fact that you know each other and have done this work together uh, for years, really is important. Uh, thank you both for speaking with us. Thank you for thank having you. me. Dalia Shandlin is a political analyst and polling expert. Her new book is called "The Crooked Timber of Democracy in Israel: Promise Unfulfilled." She was in Tel Aviv. And Khalil Shikaki is director of the West Bank-based Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. He was in Ramallah. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.